Benedict is leading a deep dive power platform LM live online course for CRM Consultina on the 29th and 30th of August. If you're enjoying this episode before that date and you're interested in leveling up your LM skills, check out the links in the show notes to register for Benedict's course. That address is amazingapps.show slash 147. I'm Neil Benson from Customary. Welcome to Amazing Apps. I'm here to help you build amazing, agile, Dynamics 365 and power platform applications your stakeholders will love. Thanks for joining me. This is episode 147. If you're listening to the audio podcast, you'll find show notes for this episode at amazingapps.show slash 147. Today's episode is all about ALM, Application Lifecycle Management. Power Platform ALM describes how we deploy and maintain our applications. Healthy ALM is when we have robust governance processes and, and tools for deploying and maintaining applications in production in a way that's secure, repeatable, and efficient. ALM used to be hard and was only really practiced by teams of experienced developers building enterprise applications. There's a quote from Nick Dolman later in this episode. Let's hear what Nick has to say about ALM. There is no project too small to apply ALM, especially in the power platform area. We now have lots of tools and features available to us to make this easy, no matter how big or small the project. Even if you're a team of one low-code app builder, you should have a repeatable way of securely and efficiently deploying and maintaining your application in production. Benedict Bergman joins me on Amazing Apps today. He's a power platform consultant at CRM Consultina in Sweden. You'll find links to Benedict's LinkedIn profile, his blog, and his GitHub page in the show notes. Benedict's background is developing custom .NET apps. He got into power platform apps around 2017, and he's received an MVP award since 2021. Today, he's known for his expertise in application lifecycle management. In this episode, Benedict and I discuss the different ALM options for small teams building simple apps and enterprise teams building mission-critical apps. We discuss tools and environments and testing and components that don't fit in solutions and lots more. Here's Benedict Bergman from CRM Consultina. Benedict, welcome to Amazing Applications. It's great to have you on the show. Welcome, my friend. Yeah, thank you for having me. Great to be here. It's great to connect with you. I'm wondering if you could maybe help us in this topic, and we'll, we'll talk about the appropriate ALM strategies for different sized projects. I haven't touched the new Power Platform Pipelines features yet. I hope I can say that right a few times. <laughs> Power Platform Pipelines. And I'm wondering if, if you've researched that, if you've used them in projects. So let, let's start with, with that and figure out what size of project is ALM good for? Yeah, so to to quote one of our dear friends, Nick Dolman, he once said in a in a, a session, "No project is too small for LM," and I totally agree. So we usually do LM even if, if it's just one person, or I do it in my project when it's only one person, when it's only me. Because if you set it up and if you if you have the, the good practices as you mentioned, and if you have like templates and so on, then it's not that big of a deal setting it up. And it will help in the in the long run, time-wise, and if someone else comes in and takes over and so on. So there's lots of different parts to ALM. If you're on your own doing a single-person project, 
are you doing everything? You know, are we, are we just talking about moving solutions from one environment to another and checking the solution into source code? Is there more to it than that when, when it's just you? Yeah. So we have this internally, we have this template. It's a YAML file or different YAML files combined to one, but it basically does several stuff with there. There are basically two, two YAML files, one for exporting stuff and one for deploying or releasing it to the downstream environments. And so the first one is creating our artifacts, which is basically the solution, or if you have any Azure functions around and so on. Uh, but this is also running our tests, uh, building the solution and checking whether or not the build is going through for all the plugins and so on, and compiling our front-end stuff, the scripts from TypeScript to JavaScript, and deploying the latest version to development, and then doing an export. So it's not just the export and unzip to the source control, it's the other stuff as well. And if the project doesn't have any development, because those projects we have as well, where we only do low-code stuff, then yep. it's easy to inactivate. It's just a, like configuration, yes, no, or true, false in that case. And then it will just skip the other stuff. Okay. You, you mentioned YAML file, which is enough to strike fear into a lot of people's hearts. What, what's your experience like working with, with YAML? It, does it take a long time to, to get the kind of experience required to maintain this YAML file that your team is using in your template? Yeah, I, it took me some while to, to really get it, get it right. And there's still some VC bugs uh, every now and then and fix it. Right. So it's not the easiest thing, YAML, but if you understood it once, then it, you like kind of get a hold of it, but it's easier if you are a developer. That's right. for true, for, for sure. But. Yeah, I mean, I started with the, with the UI pipelines, the normal click and point stuff in Dev, DevOps. That's working fine as well. You can't do it as good as templates as you could, would do with, with YAML files. So okay. the templating is better with the YAML files. All right. So in terms of sophistication, your team tends to use Azure DevOps with a template with YAML files in it, even on very small projects. But if I'm, uh, maybe I'm not a developer, maybe I'm just a, an application builder and I don't have a lot of Azure DevOps pipelines experience. Tell us about the new Power Platform pipelines. Are they worth using? Should I try them or should I just bite the bullet and go and learn Azure DevOps? So we haven't uh, used them in, in any project so far because they haven't had all the features we needed. Like right. they, they weren't able to store and un unpacked a version of the solution in the source control and so on. That's the version I remember. Yeah, it's the course, source control. Yeah, exactly. And that was one of the main things I was missing or for me was missing. A few weeks ago, they released a new version where you can have pre and post steps to your deployment. And then you could request uh, as a DevOps pipeline from your Power Platform Pipeline. And this one could do stuff you want to have, like anything else, like deploying to an Azure, an Azure function, or unpack a solution or extract a solution, unpack it and store it in the source control before it will deploy, it will be deployed to, to test or production. Um, so now it got better and it basically now is in a, in a state where we could use it for smaller projects, but still it's not as good for templating than it is in plain Azure DevOps or GitHub right. actions. Yeah. Okay. So, so maybe use Power Platform pipelines if you're a very small team of makers, low code, 
uh, components where you it sounds like you still might need a professional developer somewhere in the background to help you calling Azure DevOps to do some of the more sophisticated things. But you know that developer could set up the Azure DevOps components for you once, and then you can build your own and maintain your own Power Platform pipelines. I've got to be honest with you, Benedict, from what you've just described, I'd still probably prefer teams learn Azure DevOps. Sounds like they're going to have to to do that anyway. But obviously, it's really interesting space to watch. And I really appreciate the team at Microsoft putting the effort in to help low-code teams use a mature ALM um, process. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if you if you don't have a developer or a pro coder by hand, then those pipelines are a good alternative because then it's most of the time either no ALM at all or or manual ALM only, right? Or or yeah, that, that's basically what you have. Uh, so now you can go like the step and say, okay, we have some automation, but it's not like the whole black shift thing. It's it's yeah. just the the smaller one, but it's better than nothing. So yeah, okay. And for those smaller projects, how many environments do you normally see teams provision? Is there a recommended number for small projects and for enterprise projects? Yeah, so we usually require three, dev, test, and production. We have some customers where we took over the solution from other vendors, and they only have two, like they have test and production. And in that case, it's hard to over convince them to have a third one. Even so, it's not no additional cost. So... Yeah. Yeah. But usually we, we at least have, have three. I was in one project uh, where we were like 40 or 50 people in the project and then we had 12 or 13 environments. Okay. And that, I mean, that, that, that's was like the normal amount they had in all of the project, not only dynamics or power platform. It was all of their web development. They all had right, development, right. integration development and Q and A performance test and whatever. But for, for the dynamic implementation, it, it felt a bit too much. So something in between, I would say three and 12 is like the, the main goal. My, my team is yeah, three at a minimum, even for the smallest projects. And then most of our enterprise projects are tend to be five or six environments. Yeah. Um, and some of those higher environments are shared environments. So, you know, we're, we're doing maybe a staging environment yes. and that's coupled up to this, the staging version of the legacy system or the staging version of the ERP or the staging version of the, you know, the, the government system or whatever it is we're hooking into. So it's a, it's a big shared state pre-production environment with lots of different applications running in it. Uh, yeah. What we usually have in addition quite often, yeah, sometimes is if the customer wants to do stuff themselves. Then they get a different uh, development environment, right? Uh, and then build on um, top of our solutions. Okay. To talking about the development strategy, then if you've got four or five developers in a team, does each developer have their own environment? Is your development environment a kind of development integration environment, or are you using a shared? No, we shared use a shared development environment usually. Okay. Yeah. Have you seen any benefits in going for every developer having their own environment? Not in this size. So not if you only have like four or five people doing stuff. If it, if it's getting bigger, if you, what we are planning to do in another project we just started, which is quite a big implementation as well, we have several teams doing stuff and then every team gets a development environment and then we have yeah. a development integration or merged a development and then we go further on to UIT and 
integration tests and so on. But all, every team still is like four or five developers and they share the environment. Yeah. I remember working with Microsoft Consulting Services many, many years ago, probably 10 years ago. And this was on-prem CRM, uh, probably 2011. And all of their developers had individual development environments. And it was the first time I'd, I'd seen that. And it, it was uh, pretty shocking to me at the time because back then environments were really expensive, not just, yeah. you know, another license needed, but you had to have your own hardware essentially. So yeah, it was, it was a maybe overkill for the size of project they were working on at that time, but I can imagine that approach being useful. Like you said, if you're working in a multi-team development group. Yeah. And then if you, if you go that, that path, there's other things to consider, like branch and strategies of your, or your, your repository and so on. So I know we have like this power platform level up discord, which is for developers. So right. if there is some developer listening in, I will drop you the link. So please join really yeah. great discussions. And there, there was a discussion around exactly that uh, a few weeks ago. And some of those were like, okay, we have a pair uh, developer and they or per feature. And we create automatically the environments in the night or during the night, like 10 or 15, and then they can claim it. And then they will be like trashed in the night thereafter and right. stuff, but it's, it's a lot of management and a lot of pipelines running automatically during the night, deleting environments and so on. So it's, and also the merging of those in branches and so on. It's, it's a lot of overhead. Yeah. It's it's amazing, you know, that with the flexibility that we have, lots of teams come up with their own practices. I'm sure yeah. if you peeked inside my, what my team does, you'd scratch your head at some of the some of the things that we get up to. But it feels right for us, you know. It's it's appropriate. Everybody's used to it, uh, and sometimes that's just these things emerge. They're not designed from on a piece of paper. They just yeah, you know, the practices emerge, and suddenly we end up with something that's quite complicated when somebody else looks at it. Yeah, and it's. What would we, the template we have is it's, it grew over time as well. So first we right. started with like the pipeline and it was like, oh, maybe we want to run our tests there as well. Oh yeah, I will add it and yep. so on. So there were a lot of iterations for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I bet, I bet if somebody else took a peek at your team's template, they would uh, scratch their head as well. Yeah. I would say so. Yes. Jonas <laughs> does sometimes when he take look at our template I created, like what is the Tell me a little bit about the running tests inside a pipeline. The tests that you're running, is that just a, a suite of unit tests or are you doing any kind of user interface testing on an automated basis? I'm always curious what kind of tests people can run inside a pipeline. Yeah, so we try to create at least unit tests and we sometimes have integration tests. So if you plug in and then integrate to, to Dataverse to some instance. And those are the ones we, we run in, in our pipelines that are included there. But we also have a setup for easy repro tests, which is end-to-end front-end tests. I think we have maybe one uh, project where we really use those because usually the customer don't want to pay for us to set them up. So we don't use them as often as I would like to. But those are like uh, unit tests, integration tests, and maybe UI tests or, uh, yeah, we see easy repro. Even so, easy repro isn't uh, like the recommended thing any longer for Microsoft. They won't develop it further, as I heard. So yeah, it's more Playwright at the moment. They okay. Recommend. Yeah, I've I've heard of Playwright. I haven't I haven't played with it yet. Um, another another tool to get my hands on. 
We're having some challenges at the moment with one of our projects where the customer wants some tests run at the end of every deployment. Well, they want screenshots to be captured. And the screenshots mm-hmm. have to end up in a, in a report. The report generator, I can't remember which way around it goes. It can either get executed in an Azure DevOps build or an Azure DevOps pipeline, but not whichever one it supports is not the one that we, where we want to use it. So yeah, it's uh, a little challenging. I'm um, sometimes doing some integrated testing. And it keeps moving, right? There's always new tools, new new approaches. We just mentioned Playwright. Got to stay frosty. Yeah. And project, we we once implemented uh, performance tests that were run like in a nightly basis from a pipeline as well against a specific performance test environment. So performance testing is an interesting one because it's a shared data center, right? You're 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 hammering the resources. And you're sitting on a scale group in a data center and other customers are on the same scale group, the same set of servers. Do you do any kind of collaboration with Microsoft to say, hey, we yeah. want to do some performance so th- testing? This was in a fast track project. So right. we were had like a tight discussion with Microsoft about it. And they suggested some times when it would be best to not interrupt all the others so during the night, basically. Right. So they were aware of it. We had some discussions whether we should do those tests against a sandbox environment or a production environment, because I, the customer wants to test as near as it will be in production. So they wanted sure. to have it like in a production an environment of type production, so that it gets the same amount of resources. But Microsoft suggested doing it in sandbox because it has lesser resources and therefore we see peaks in performance earlier. We don't have to right. do as much uh, requests to see those. So that was quite an interesting uh, discussion there as well. And then you also, if you do it in the sandbox, those are like production type and sandbox types are different scale groups. And therefore you don't affect the other production environments of the other customers as much or not at all because they are different servers. Okay. So, so there's an assumption there that Sandbox environments are all clustered together in the same scale groups that sandboxes don't share scale group with production. I never thought about that. You're probably right that I would do it that way if I was designing my data center. And there's always a myth that sandbox environments get less resources than production environments. Sometimes Microsoft say, no, all environments are created equal. In reality, I still suspect that sandbox environments get fewer resources than production. Yeah, and, and as, as well, that's what they told us a few years ago. Maybe there's change in between. But back then, they told us it's less resources for sandbox. Or, or maybe maybe the same amount of resources, but more sandbox environment within one scale group. So they, yep. if since they share, they... Higher density. The end yep. gets less. So, yeah. Yeah. I like that idea, though. So if I run my performance tests in Sandbox and I hit some kind of threshold, now I know the pinch point of my application. Now I know where the bottleneck could be, yeah. and I can work to resolve that if I need to, knowing that I've got a higher threshold in production, yeah. but I've, I've hopefully fixed the underlying issue. That's, that's a good idea. It helps you spot the problem earlier. Yeah. What about penetration testing, then? Do you do any kind of pen testing? Because that's even more invasive on other customers in the scale group. One person's penetration test is you know, somebody else's denial of service attack. No, we, I have never done penetration tests. No. Okay. Yep. I, I've never done them either. My customers have, but they've always engaged a third party to do it, mm-hmm. you know, a security consultancy. They don't 
Uh, it's a bit hard to do your own penetration testing when you know the code yeah. and you know the environment. So probably better if somebody else gives it a crack. And it's, it's a pretty specialist set of skills as well. We're thinking about what can be included in ALM. So there are definitely parts of the Dynamics 365 or Power Platform component stack that are still quite difficult to, to you know, in- include in a solution. I was delighted recently the access teams were finally made solution aware, so now I can include those in my solution. You've mentioned functions, Azure functions, a couple of times. So I presume that your LM process includes Power Platform solutions, but other components as well, Azure components. How are you handling things that are not solution aware and including uh, Azure components as well? Yeah, that depends on the on the component for sure. Because so like basically Azure components, they are quite easy to, to handle because they have usually good pipeline support in Azure DevOps or GitHub Actions. For example, Azure Functions, there is there are steps for it. You can just use those steps like one or two steps to deploy those. So we have a, a special YAML template, which you can ye- reuse for every Azure function we have, and then it will deploy those. And uh, we also sometimes use biceps scripts to to create the resources in Azure DevOps to make sure they all are the same and uh, naming conventions and so on. Right. And they those run in the same pipeline as our solution. So when we deploy to tests, then we like either first deploy our solutions and then our Azure components or the other way around. Depends on yeah suits us best. But if it comes to to components we which are within the power platform but not solution aware, it's more complicated. So, and then it depends, like you can, some of those you can just move with creation migration tool from Microsoft, yes. uh, if it's just data, basically, but others are yeah way more complicated and you need some PowerShell scripts to do stuff. Yeah. For example, if you want to move the, the application detection rules, they have to be inactivated before they can be exported. Otherwise they won't follow in the solution. So you should have a script, which go through them, de- deactivates the ones you want to export or have a new solution so you don't forget to inactivate those and then mess yep. your environment up, such stuff, which is very messy. And then there's other stuff where you where you need different solutions, for example, because usually Microsoft's recommendation is to have one monolith solution. That's what they say. Or the uh, solution separation or segmentation, but then one solution or for every solution, you need an, a separate environment because otherwise you could get dependencies and so on. Yeah. That's a Microsoft recommendation. And then there is stuff which you can't have in the same solution. For example, if you have a custom connector and flows using this custom connector, they can't be in the same solution because, and I don't know the details under the hood, but they tried to install the flows before the custom connectors. <laughs> I assume because it, it probably yeah because there's some missing dependencies because the flow wants to have the custom connector which isn't there yeah in the same solution so you have to have a, a separate solution and install the custom connector first same that as, sounds like that should be an easy fix in the solution yeah. we also had a discussion with some from Microsoft in this Discord and they were like yeah it's the problem is that they the custom connectors are hosted in API management in Azure and they have to deploy it there. And there's some timely stuff that there's is asynchronous and then it's too 
too slow or something, so they right. they can't easily fix it, unfortunately. Uh, so that's right. one of the known limitations. And then as well, like stuff like SLAs and automatic record creation rules, they should yes. be in their own solution with all the components you need, and like the, the automatic record creation rules and the related flows should be in the same solution. Otherwise you could get errors. And if anything yeah. else is in the solution, you could also get errors. So all this stuff has to be, be handled as well. Yeah, I think that, that we have such rich and varied applications these days that I'm sure there are very specific lessons learned around Dynamics 365 marketing and, and how email templates and customer journeys get migrated. Or if you're working with power pages, the strategy for migrating portals keeps evolving, which is great. But if you haven't done a portals project or a power pages project for 12 months, you're going to have to relearn your ALM techniques. You just mentioned lots of great stuff there about, about customer service and SLAs. I'm sure if you're working with Power BI and you've got reports and charts and dashboards uh, authored in Power BI and you want to move those in the solution, there's different strategies as well. So there's so much to learn. I was wondering, do you see a pattern where there is a role for a DevOps engineer within a Microsoft partner practice or within a team who's just a specialist in YAML and pipelines and all of these edge cases and they're the expert that all the teams rely on for how do we get this stuff into production? Or do you see teams just learning and, and, and managing ALM on their own without that central specialist? Oh, I see uh, a space for this type of, and I don't have this role, but I would say I have this role in, in our company. So it's <laughs> not an official role, but right. basically in every project where we have our pipelines or want to uh, move to our pipelines, I will be, be called into more or less. And if there are any troubles in the pipeline failing or so on, then I usually help my colleagues resolving those. Yeah. So I think it would be good to have at least one person that really knows all the whereabouts or not all of it. I, I don't know all of it either. So, but that knows how to navigate in it and how right. to get the information. Um, yeah. If something happens and to know YAML and uh, the, the usual pitfalls you can you can have or yeah and how to fix those yep. is there a resource somewhere benedict where i could go and and um look up you know alm on a microsoft learn website or something and say i'm trying to move automatic case creation rules what's the alm approach for those types of records is there a resource we can go to and, and find that information easily i don't think so i i I have to admit that the, the documentation on learn for ALM, they have been getting improved a lot in the last couple of months, but I've never seen like for like those specific cases. It's more like if you look on the page from SLA, for example, then there's like a side note. If you want to move those, they have to be in the same environment or uh, we learned about it. It hasn't worked. So we asked support and they was like, yeah, obviously. <laughs> they have to be in their own solution. So, okay. Yeah. So I don't think there's like this one page where we, we can go, but the, the overall uh, ALM page is uh, improving at the moment, which is good. Yeah. Yeah. Good. But if I wanted, if I was new to the power platform or I was a, a low code maker and I wanted to uh, build up my Azure DevOps skills, is there a course you'd recommend? Are you, are you going to create a course for us? Or is there uh, somewhere else I can go to to learn this stuff? Because there's 
I'm sure there's, sure there's generic Azure DevOps training available, yeah. but I want to learn it specifically for Power Platform and Dynamics 365 apps. Is there such a training course available? I actually will give one end of the month, two-day LM training course, virtual in English. And we are thinking about doing this as a on-demand course. I haven't decided that yet. So if there is enough demand, then I would have more convincing arguments to, to invest okay. time. Yeah. But uh, so I will have a course, uh, the first one of uh, my, my LM course now end of the month and uh, probably do it as an on-demand course in the future. Okay. So tell us a bit more about your course. It's, it's two days. Whereabouts is it going to be hosted? Uh, yeah, it's two, two days on uh, Teams hosted on the 29th and 30th of uh, August now from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Central Europe summertime. So CST. Yeah. Welcome time. And uh, yeah, it's uh, two days of uh, LM training and covers like all the, the basics. So the first day is more leveling up and what is ALM and the basics of uh, our platform LM, like solutions, environments, and difference between power platform pipelines and Azure DevOps and GitHub and so on. And also learning YAML build tools and what is uh, special with environment variables, connection references and hands-on lab, for sure, to test all the learn stuff out and then day two is more more like into into depth like how is the project set up versioning quality gates deploying pull requests and that stuff and deploying data within the pipeline running tests and all all like the the detailed detailed stuff yeah great well we, we could do a podcast episode on each of those modules i think some really interesting stuff there benedict it sounds awesome so I good on you for putting that together. It sounds like it's been a lot of hard work to get to this stage. The one that's coming up at the end of August, is that the first time you've run it? Or is, um, yes, you run it yeah, it's the first time I, yeah. I run it, yes. Yeah. Great. I've got on-demand training courses. Yours has got some hands-on labs for Azure DevOps, which is, which is amazing. I think developers require that when they're, when they're learning. And that's quite hard to work into an on-demand course. Yes. So good luck with that. Let me know if I can help. Amazing. And Benedict, well, thanks very much for, for sharing your LM experience with us. It sounds like Power Platform Pipelines is still a great place to start if you're a low-code maker. Uh, learn the basics of the techniques there. There's some shortcomings, though, and so they might need to work with a professional developer in their team. Um, and then bigger teams, bigger projects, really need to start with uh, Azure DevOps and consider building out some templates to make their LM processes repeatable across projects and across teams. We didn't get to touch too much on, on the differences or the, the similarities between Azure DevOps and GitHub. We'll maybe save that one for another topic as well. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience? I'd love to, if you have a few moments, I'd love to grab you in a retrospective. But is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience on this topic? Don't be afraid and get started with it. And if you have any questions, just reach out and I'm happy to help. Yeah, good. Okay. Well, Nick Dolman's um, quote still stands true. No project is too small for LM. Benedict uh, endorses that uh, philosophy. Yes. So go for it. Uh, Benedict, if you have a, a few moments, what, what I like to do is just to get to know our guests a little bit better in a segment I call the retrospective, where we just uncover your background a little bit. Um, you, you've been working with um, the Power Platform for six, seven years now, but you started as a .NET developer. Is that right? Yeah, yeah exactly. So so I'm from, from Germany and uh, moved to Sweden six years ago, uh, around bots. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. 
Uh, back then, I was uh, yeah, .NET and front-end developer, so I did both back-end and uh, front-end in some regards, and it was most Angular, a bit React later on. Right. And then I was a bit on and off with some Dynamics on-premise customers, and they needed like a, a small script or something like that. And then I moved to Sweden, and they needed someone in uh, on-premise 2011 project. Developer, so I was thrown into that, and after that, I, it stuck. So I stayed okay. at Dynamics and the Power Platform. Very cool, very cool. So, so Sweden is home now. At the moment, it's home, yeah. but we will move yeah, back to, to Germany in uh, two years, twenty twenty-five. Okay, yeah, yep. very good. Open up the CRMK office in in Germany. Yes. Thanks so much for sharing your LM expertise with us. And we will catch up with you soon. Hopefully, I'll be making my way north for one of the summits in the next year or two. And we'll see you there. Perfect. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Benedict Bergman. Thanks for joining me, Benedict. I appreciate you staying up late at home in Stockholm to join me here in Brisbane. If you'd like to check out Benedict's deep dive course into Power Platform ALM, remember to check the link in the show notes. It's on the 29th and 30th of August, 2023, from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Central European Summertime. It'll be awesome. You'll find a registration link in the show notes at amazingapps.show slash 147. I'm trying to persuade Benedict to create an on-demand, online version of the course. If that's something you'd be interested in, perhaps you missed his live course, you're tuning into this episode later, or the timing just doesn't work for you, let Benedict know. Comment down below if you're on YouTube or on the customary company page on LinkedIn if you're listening to the audio podcast. That's it for this episode. Thanks for joining me. Until next time, keep experimenting. <laughs>